after our um, worship and teaching time here, I, um, many of you know that there's a series of um, what are called life groups that happened on the school. Moberly School is just about a block and a half from here. And uh, because there's really no more room left in this building and another congregation comes in um, to follow us. And um, a number of um, groups and so on. Have, Cindy, Pastor Cindy, what is it you're teaching down there? You're teaching here. So I blew my whole announcement right there. Just screwed that up. Oh, well, whatever. There's other classes down there, but Pastor Cindy's not, okay? Um, but I'm, I'm working through a series with folks. We've really just shared some ideas and concerns and questions. And one of the things that we're going to look at this morning, if you'd like to join us, is the most common question that I get asked as a pastor is simply this. What is God's will for my life? I get asked that all the time. Young people, old people, it doesn't really matter. And what I'd like to teach this morning in a very, I hope, interactive class down there is that that's the wrong question. That's not the question we should be asking. When we ask, what is God's will for my life, we're really asking another question. And the other question, we're a better question, is how do I make godly decisions? Okay, that's the question we're really asking. And that's what we're going to try and unpack this morning. So there's a plug from my class. Uh, there's about 20, 25 people or so there. We meet in the library. It's nice, comfortable. It's interactive. Um, we don't have food, but I'm sorry about that. But that's just the way it is. So if you'd like to come and join us, and Pastor Cindy's class is here, and there's other classes meeting in other places. Okay? There we go. Please join us. Um, here's an idea I'd love to have tried this week. It would have been great fun to do, but I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to pull it off. So I really will ask you for a moment, use your imagination with me. Is that okay? Can you do that? Um, for some of us, we have to move from the left-hand side of our brain into the right-hand side of our brain, but here's what you got to do. I would have loved this past week to send everybody who is connected in some way with VCBC, the church here, a piece of a jigsaw puzzle in an envelope. And just very simply say to them, we need you here this Sunday. Because when you get to church out in the foyer out there, um, you'll find a, a whole bunch of people milling around, and we're all trying to find out where the pieces of our jigsaw puzzle go, because we're building a picture. And we need you to be here this Sunday so you can bring your piece of the jigsaw puzzle and sit into the picture. You got it? Okay, good. It's... Remember I said interactive? That means I talk and you talk. We discuss together. And very simply, you got this. The, the jigsaw puzzle represents your life. It's you and your uniqueness, your spiritual gifts, and how each one is needed to complete the picture. But we all know that when we work in a jigsaw puzzle and to find that some pieces are missing, that's disappointing. And I think this morning, as I get to know you and look around, some of the, the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, which means the people, are missing. The picture would be incomplete. This morning, as you look around, you say, hey, I don't see so-and-so. I don't see this person. I don't see that family. Where are they? Some people are missing. And so, to very simply, we cannot complete the picture of what this church is, and God wants us to be without them and without you. Because God has designed the church to be a community. And we need all of the parts. We need all of the pieces. We need all of our funny shapes to come together to make the picture work. And like pieces in the jigsaw puzzle, we're all kind of funny sizes and shapes and whatever. But there's a right place for every piece and there's a right place for every person. 
We need to realize that we do not have to work to create community or our unity. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of grace to each one of us. God simply says, Tom, you need to go where I send you and you need to kind of fit in. Each of us has something to bring. And this morning in this fall series about stepping into, taking a step forward in the life, we want to talk about stepping into community, stepping into the church, and not just being somebody who shows up on a sunny morning and then vanishes. You have things that I need in my life. I will not become all that God wants me to become without you. That's true for each and every one of us. So this morning, I want to get three passages and just unpack them a little bit and see it. Each of them gives us a different aspect of this. And as I often say, we will leave so much behind. I understand that. But you'll need your Bible this morning, as you always, always will do when I'm speaking. So please turn in your Bibles or your iPod or iPad or iPhones or something, whatever you bring. Um, I don't have any of that stuff. Um, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going to start. Now you need to understand the context of 1 Corinthians. It's this. The Corinthian church had got into a muddle and fight over a number of issues. There were some theological issues they were struggling with. There was a moral issue. There were some worship wars going on in the church. Can you imagine that? And they had written to the Apostle Paul. Now we don't have that letter. That letter has been lost. It's not contained for us. When Paul replies to them, that's what we call 1 Corinthians. You understand that? 1 Corinthians is a reply to a series of questions and issues that the Corinthian church had raised with Paul. Turn to chapter 12. And so when Paul writes in verse 1, he actually didn't write verse numbers, but when he writes, And now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, you have to understand what he's doing, and he's moving on to the next topic. He's saying, okay, cover that one. What's the next one they want to know? They want to know about spiritual gifts. And we want to start at verse 4. And you have to kind of get hold of this passage with me, really line by line. Paul says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. The word for gifts there is the word charismata in Greek. Every Christian is charismatic. It's not about speaking tongues. It's not about how high you want to raise your hands. It means that we have spiritual gifts that come from the grace, that's the word charis, of God. They may be natural talents, but they're being added to by the, given the power of the Holy Spirit. But they come from the grace of God. And they're given to us, it says, by the Holy Spirit. And one of his tasks is to gift every Christian for service, as we'll see in a moment. Verse 5, next verse. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. The word for service is diakonia, from which we get our English word deacons. It simply means that there are places to serve, not always the deacon's board, under the direction of the Lord. Jesus, the head of the church, says, I want to take your gifts which come from the Holy Spirit, and I want to use them in this area. He is the head of the body. We take our orders from him. Verse 6. He says, there are different kinds of working. The word is energizing in Greek. But it's the same God who works in all of us, in all people. Now notice these three areas of diversity. Gifts service, and effects. But you also notice something else. It talks about the Spirit, the Lord, and God the Father. What does that teach us? The Trinity. The Trinity is involved in the gifting and the energizing of the church. Now verse 7 is the, the, the verse that ties all of this together. He says, Now to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, notice the last phrase, for the common good. 
It's reminding us that God has gifted us not for our personal hobbies or pastimes. God has chosen to gift us through the Holy Spirit, and it is for the common good. In other words, we're given our gifts to give them away. We're given them to give them away in the service of others and for the common good of the church. I often think the church really is kind of like potluck supper. You know, you get an invitation to a potluck supper. I was invited to one a week past uh, last night at one of the home builders groups. Potluck supper. They send out the menu. You do bring this and you bring that and you bring something else. Okay? Or you can just stay home. And you can stay home and all you eat is peas. Or potatoes. Or some funny Chinese dish that I really didn't recognize. Doesn't matter. Okay? Or you can cook what you're going to cook. And you know what? You can bring it and put it on the table. And we can all eat and we can all enjoy together. That's the common good. Do you understand what the church is? I bring who I am. And I bring what I have. And you know what I do? I lay it on the table. It's for the common good. And Alfred brings the gifts that God has given him in leadership. And he says, uh, Vancouver Chinese Baptist Church, here it is. I lay it on the table. It's for the common good. And Florence does that with worship. She lays it on the common, for the common good on the table. And these gifts and abilities are the grace of God. They're for the common good. And I have a deep sense that if we do not do with them what God has designed them for, which is to be given away to the church, first of all, God is quite able and capable of taking them back from us. Because they are not hobbies. They're not for a personal pleasure. They're gifts of the Spirit to be given away. They grow and they're multiplied. And when we hold on to them too tightly, they slip through our fingers. My gifts in my life, just like yours, are a piece of a jigsaw puzzle. And I have to lay it down on the table and see where it fits. But one of the glorious, exciting tasks for a church is to encourage each and every believer to find out, to discover who God has uniquely made you to be. And help them become that. How do we discover these gifts? Let me give you just three very, very simple questions. Ask yourself, what has God placed in your life that you just enjoy doing? You just enjoy doing it. Um, Florence, you enjoy leading worship and singing? God's, God's gift that you say, I, you know, I enjoy that. That's evident. It shows. Second question, what do other people see in me? We need people who will be honest with us and speak back into our lives. The third question we need to ask is, when I put this into practice, does it help people? If people think I'm a teacher, does anybody listen? Does anybody show up? In other words, does it edify the church body? Because Paul says all of the gifts are given to edify the body. If we build them and bring them for the common good, they build into the building up of the body of Christ. So let me ask you, what's God gifted you for? Where is the Holy Spirit saying to you in VCBC, this is where I want you to work? In children's ministry, in worship, in prayer, in service, in leadership, whatever it is. Here's the second passage. You've got to see the whole church at work in this way. Romans chapter 12. You flip back to Romans chapter 12 out of 1 Corinthians. Let me start at verse 4. Just as each of us has one body with many members, parts, arms, legs, and all those things, and these members do not have all the same function, so Christ, so in Christ, we who form one body, 
Each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man or a person's gift, I'd like to expand it. It's not just a male issue here. If a person's gift is in prophesying, let him use that in proportion to his faith. If it's in serving, some people, you know, serving just kind of oozes out of them. You know, you open the doors and they're just, they're just saying, what can I do? They're there to serve. Then let them serve. If it's in teaching, let them teach. If it's in encouraging, let them encourage. If it's in contributing to the needs of others, some people are gifted by the grace of God with more money and an ability for greater generosity. Their gift is to give. Let them give generously. If it's in leadership, let them govern diligently. In other words, let them point the way that they are to go. The word governor, governed, by the way, is not to control things. It is to guide things. It comes from the Latin word gubernator. And the gubernator was the one who was the pilot of the boat. And he was the one who steered the boat through the rocks and the waves and said, this is the way that we're to go. So the one who governs is not the one who controls. The one who governs is the one who leads and guides and directs. If it's in showing mercy, some people just got mercy just oozing out of them. Let them do it cheerfully. It's remarkably simple. God intends in the church that we would function as an interdependent community of faith. It's not about competition. It's not about one person being better than the other. By the way, community cannot exist where there's competition. If you, are, if you think we can have competition with one another, wherever we do that, we cannot have community. Community exists when we give up the idea of somebody being first and somebody being better. It's simply about bringing our spiritual lives together. And just showing up on Sundays is not enough. Two extremes, very prevalent in our world and culture, that we need to avoid. One is independence. We have a um, three-year-old little grandson who's phrased these days as, I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. It's not cute sometimes when an adult says, I'll do it myself. You know that independence was the sin in the garden? That a couple thought they could live without God? I'll do it myself. At the other end of the spectrum um, is what's called codependence. And that's the unhealthy need of a relationship. To need someone so desperately in such a clinging kind of a way that we cannot live without them. We hang on to them. We, we cling to them in this unhealthy way. And that is often destructive for both parties. Between these two extremes, independence on one hand, codependence on the other hand, we're called as Christians to live interdependent lives. What we have, we bring. Some people are great at serving. Get out the road and let them serve. Others are good at teaching. Others have the gift of leadership. You know what? Those got the gift of leadership, you've got to let them lead. We need each other. None of us is omni-gifted. None of us has got all of these gifts. There's three things that stifle a church, at least three things, from stifle a church from being all this kind of gifted community work that God wants it to be. Now listen carefully to me this morning. Number one, when it's pulpit dependent. Don't misunderstand me. I am deeply committed, as this, this church, to the disciplined study and proclamation of God's word. 
Okay? But a church that becomes only pulpit dependent can stagnate. It has no reason to reach out. Its mission is simply come in here instead of go and tell. I'm not saying in any way that we should abandon preaching and teaching. Not at all. It must be rooted in truth and stamped with excellence. But dependence on preaching alone will glorify the pulpit and it will stifle the other ministries and the growth of the church body. Secondly, a church is stifled when it becomes pastor-dependent. There is still the residue in many churches that pastors are the only ones who are trained to do the work of the ministry, to counsel, to visit, to administer. And everybody just shows up on a sunny morning to watch and to listen. But can I just tell you that is not biblical? I have gifts to bring to this church. And so does Pastor Cindy and Pastor Johnny, other pastors in the Chinese congregations. But our primary task, the Bible says, we'll come to back in a minute, is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Who are the saints? You're the saints. Okay? Do you know that? doesn't mean you're in a stained glass window. But you're the saints. You're called to do the work of the ministry. And as I get to know you as a congregation through these months, I know that some of you and families and individuals have through some painful experiences that you would not have chosen for anything. But that equips you to come alongside someone else who is walking down the same path. You know, we do not always do our best work when we work from our strength. Sometimes we do our best work with God in somebody else's life when we work from weakness. We need to understand that. Let me tell you about Judy, a lady in a previous congregation. Um, Judy found out one day that she had breast cancer. And that the only way really to um, get ahead of this in her life and in her body, this, what had invaded her body, was to have a radical double mastectomy. And she did that and she survived the surgery. Um, I was pastoring a large congregation, 1,000, 1,200 people. And from time to time, I um, came across information and news that um, this lady or that lady had just discovered she had breast cancer and was going in for surgery. Um, I say this, and I'm not trying to be funny when I say this. I say this with um, a lot of all my sensitivity I can muster. It is really not possible for me to go and hold her hand and say, I know what this feels like. I can't do that. Because I'm a man. And she's a woman. And she's struggling now with breast cancer. I would go in and visit her, often with Harriet, my wife, pray with her. But what I usually did was I phoned up Judy. And I said, I have a lady I need you to go and visit. And you know why? She said, yeah, I'll be there today, tomorrow. And Judy would stop and pick up some flowers and go into the hospital, thank her at Victoria General of the Jubilee, and sit down beside her bed and say, I'm Judy, I'm from the congregation. Tom asked me to come visit you. And she could take her hand and look into her eyes, and she could say to her, I know what this feels like, and you can get through this, because I did. That's someone who can minister in a way that's so important. 
if the church is to see growth in terms of being a gifted congregation, it must resist the easy path of being pastor dependent. And sometimes in that, pastors need to redefine their roles. Thirdly, it's building dependent. Now it's great to have a building, especially in Vancouver when it's going to start raining soon or whatever. But a church that limits and restricts its ministry to only what happens in the building will have a limited understanding of its ministry where it can go. The church needs to redefine its ministry and its mission beyond its walls. As the title of a recent book, it simply said, Jesus has left the building. That's true, Jesus is in the neighborhood. Jesus is in the city. Jesus is in the world. And so we need to be asking as a church, we want to go, what is God doing in our neighborhood? What is God doing in our city? What's God doing in the world? And then hit your wagon to what God is doing outside of the walls of the church. Do you know that it's difficult to find a renewal movement in the history of the church without some kind of small group movement? Martin Luther talked about the little church within the larger church. John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism in Britain and all over the world, met in small bands for Bible study and accountability. Showing up on a Sunday morning is not enough. That simply makes a lonely crowd. Not a community of love and accountability. We need to kind of tie together. Um, I, have a, I have an old in my um, library at home, and I noticed you had one in your library down here. An old um, Bible handbook called Haley's Bible Handbook. Some of you may have that if you're as old as me or whatever. Now, if you open up Haley's Bible Handbook, it says in the inside first page, the most important page in this book is 814. So what will you do next? Page 814. What's the most important idea in this book? The most important idea in this book is a simple suggestion. Each church have a congregational plan of reading. And that the pastor's sermon be connected to that. Starting next week, Pastor Cindy is getting his leadership in this. We're going to be, in addition to the small groups and the home builders groups and so on going on, uh, we want to start and connect some new small groups with uh, the sermon. And so that you, know, you can read and study along with us and have fun with that and see we engage in that. And some people have been doing that for a while. I'm going to ask Naomi Ma. Where is Naomi? There she is. Naomi's going to come up for a minute. And so to break into the sermon here for a moment, okay? And she's going to tell us how long she's been involved in doing this sort of thing and what are the advantages. Naomi, you get to preach now, okay? There you go. There you go. All right? There you go. Thank you. Well, I really can't preach. But talking about small groups, I'm really, really excited about the, um, the small groups we're going to have. Um, I've been involved with small groups on and off ever since I became a Christian. That's a thousand years ago. Anyway, God over the years has used the members of the small group um, that I attended to help me and to encourage me in my personal walk with God. And for the last few years, Philip, my husband, and I um, have been involved in a, in a small group meeting on Wednesday mornings in the church here. It is a sermon-based Bible study, and the sharing in that group I'm telling you, it's just wonderful. It's open, frank, and incredibly rich. And 
I must say that our lives have been really blessed. Now, early, this, uh, early on this year, um, I can never say this word, Lu, I don't know, I always call Louis, yeah, <laughs> sometimes I call Louise, you know, Louis, <laughs> sorry, Louis. <laughs> well, Louis Chan suggested to my husband that we should have a mixed uh, generation small group in our area. I really can't describe to you how excited I was. I was very surprised. I remember asking my husband, really, the young people want us, the old foodies, to join in with their Bible study? We are old. We belong to the dinosaur age. And they want to accept us in their Bible study and prayer. Are you really sure? Well, my husband said, we'll see. Anyway, from April this year, to June, we met every Wednesday evening for Bible study and prayer led by uh, Louis Chen. And the young people in that group, they're all young because Philip and I are really, really old, very, very ancient. And they're all young, you know, such as Pastor Cindy, um, Bob and Christina Lee, um, Sam Chen, and... Um, um, Louis Chan and sometimes <laughs> I have difficulty with that name somehow I don't know why um, sometimes Hanok really accepted us as we are and uh, every Wednesday evening I really took away after the Bible study I took away tons of golden nuggets of insights from these young people and this insight can help me and encourage me for my walk with God. And uh, in that little group, little self, uh, small group, we got to know each other really well. And uh, we pray for and encourage each other. And we really felt connected. Connected to each other. Connected to this big VCBC family. And connected together. And today I encourage you, no matter how old you are or how young you are, really to join a small group, to grow together, focusing on God's Word and caring for each other. And just now Pastor <clears throat> Cowan was saying that we are to hitch a wagon to what is, uh, what is God doing. So... I want to ask you, how willing are you to hitch your wagon to what is God doing in this church, in our neighborhood, and in the world? And also, how willing are we to bring our pieces of jigsaw puzzle to come and share with each other so that we can show forth God's splendor? May I just for one minute, oh, half a second, to make a little commercial. You're very welcome to come to our Wednesday morning. If you're not working and you're retired, etc., you can come and join us on Wednesday morning for our uh, Bible study. It's a Bible, it's a sermon based. We're starting this Wednesday. We're going to study today's sermon, the scriptures that we're going to study. And you know, our little group may be old, like me, maybe a little bit deaf. 
and perhaps sometimes a little bit crusty. But you know, I want to tell you, we don't bite, and we're not long-winded, even though we're old. And we do focus on the Word of God, prayer, and encouraging each other in our life journey. And also, I want to tell you, we do not use those ecclesiastical words. You know, like thee and thou. So don't be afraid. Come and join us on Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock. We finish at 11:30. Thank you. Naomi, you did very well. Third passage, just briefly. When these things and gifts and people work together, you know what the goal is? Maturity. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4. It was he who gave some to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to prepare God's people, that's you folks, for works of service, so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Then, says Paul, we will no longer, no longer be infants, children, Tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of men. But speaking the truth in love, we will grow up in all things into him who is the head who is Christ. How do we get this? Several ways to understand maturity this morning. Maturity comes when we shift from information to action. Maturity is not about how much we know. It is about what we know that we put into practice. You do not grow maturity just because you decided to come to church this morning. All you've got so far is information. You grow maturity when you take something away from a message and you say to yourself, I'm going to start doing that. We learn that from Hebrews. It says in Hebrews 5, some of you by this time ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word over again. You need milk and not solid food. Anyone who lives in milk being an infant is not acquainted with teaching about righteousness. But, says Hebrews, solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Notice the complaint. You're going over the same ground again and again. That is not growth. Maturity comes when we move forward in our lives, when we take a step forward, as I'm challenging you to do. Secondly, maturity comes as we shift from being passive to being passionate. Picture from Philippians, I've shared it with you some weeks ago. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or become perfect, but he says, I press on to hold that for which Jesus Christ has taken hold of me. He says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God is calling me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's a picture of runners going flat out for the finishing line. It's not a stroll. It's straining for every breath, our arms flailing, stretching forward to the finishing line. And he says, all of those of us who are mature should take such a view of things. That's the way, he says, we need to regard the Christian life. Maturity comes thirdly, when we move from personal selfishness to mutual service. You know, part of the, the carbon monoxide in the air of our culture is simply to ask, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? If we want to travel any road, any miles on the road of Christian maturity, we will need to take off the boots of selfishness and put on the sandals of servanthood. 
Maturity does not come as we sit back to be waited on. Rather, it means we come and we bring our gifts and we lay them on the table. I believe so deeply and so passionately that God has gifted every person here for all that He wants this church to be and become. You believe that? You believe that with me? We gotta get more than a couple of yeses. Yeah. Everything that we need is here. Resident in your life and my life in one way or another. Your life is unique like the piece of the jigsaw puzzle. Your life is designed to fit in with everybody else here. And I get goosebumps when I begin to think and imagine all that God wants us to be. Let me take you back to my starting ideas. We close in a moment. What if we'd been able to pull off this idea of sending everybody a piece of a jigsaw puzzle? And this morning, Sunday morning, people brought them. And they gathered around a big table in the foyer. And they're seeing where their piece of the jigsaw puzzle fits in. It doesn't go here, it doesn't go there. But there it is. And they find it. And then they begin to wonder and to ask each other, so what's the, what's the final picture going to be? It's not a picture of the majestic mountains in the North Shore. It's not a picture of a church building. Slowly the picture begins to take shape as more and more pieces fall into place. We begin to, to see a face. It's a person. His eyes are shiny and dark. It's cold. His face is deeply sunburned by the weather. His eyes are black and sharp and piercing. The kind of eyes that seem to penetrate right through you and see all the way into your soul. And suddenly a few people, and then more and more, begin to recognize the face in the picture. You know who it is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. We're fitting into the picture of the life of Jesus. And we need every person, every piece in the puzzle, to get us there. I invite you to stand. You need to see this picture this morning through the eyes of the Spirit. If it helps you, you may need to close your eyes. John said, I saw someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead. And he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. 
I was dead. But behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold in my hands the keys of death and hell. 